Ladies and gentlemen, where we're going, we don't need roads. I'm Kit Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad About Movies. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Brian Gill, what is the movie of the week? This week's movie of the week is the 1985 sci-fi classic Back to the Future. Cue the Huey Lewis, Kent. I've got it cued, Brian. I love it. My Huey Lewis vinyl collection has been waiting for this day. So pumped right now. Trivia question. What talk show host is an enormous, dare I say, scary Huey Lewis fan? It's got to be TK, right? Uncle, T- Uncle Tony? American nope. Treasure, Uncle Tony? Wow. I mean. It would be James Kimmel. Oh, nice. And now he's used his fame to go fly fishing with uh, Huey Lewis. They're now fly fishing buddies. But he's a psycho fan of of Huey Lewis. This may be an unpopular opinion. I'm just going to throw it out there. I love Huey Lewis. I'm a big fan. He's good. Yeah. All right. Good deal. It seems like the type of music that most people just like you hate immediately without – even considering whether it's good or not. Does that make sense? But uh, but I've always been a big fan. And that's the power of love, Brian. It is. I'm a f- more of a fan of the news. I don't care much for who he <laughs> yeah. is. I love the news, though. That's how I am. I yeah. can't stand Springsteen, but I love the E Street Band. <laughs> Same. If it was just Little Stevie and Max and That's and crazy Niels. you say that, Richard, because... I really can't stand Tom Petty, but I love the Heartbreakers. It's like really, <laughs> really? one of those weird things, yeah. It's great because I, it's funny because I got these tickets. Now that I have someone to go with, it'd be cool if you'd be interested. But I have tickets to just the Blowfish. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super up. pumped about I'll, it. I'll okay, I'm really you know. jealous that I can't get in on this conversation. I'm not thinking fast enough for you guys for, uh, for super cool band <laughs> talk. Right. It's okay. That, yeah. Hootie what, references. S- are someday. <laughs> Corey's stoked. So When we launch our spinoff podcast, Mad <laughs> About Music, yeah. it's going to be a lot of that kind of yeah. stuff. Hilarious music but you can look puns. To, dear listener. It's freaking about time, guys, it that is. we are talking Back to the Future. I'm not going to lie to the listener here. We have verbally agreed and committed to doing this episode three separate times in the past. Never came to fruition for some reason. Some reason or other, like... Too many movies keep being released. Just can you just give us a week with off? McCarthy, man, you know? <laughs> Honestly, we... I remember we had scheduled to do it, I think... Around the time of Ex Machina, and that came out, and we were like, well, we need to do this. This is, it yeah. was all anyone was talking about at the time when it went wide uh, this past spring. So we pushed back to the future. We were going to do it this year eventually to celebrate 30 years of Back to the Future, released the July 4th weekend, 1985. And, uh, and so here we are. July 4th weekend was this past weekend. By the way, guys, you're still alive. Glad are. to see you didn't blow up a hand and or head. Well, you know, no head, but I am I am one finger less than I had before. But that's fine. You that's, heard about the the Disney Gaston, yeah. right? Yeah, Danger was was just really upset. <laughs> oh, that was that guy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, Gaston from Disney Disney World blew his head off <laughs> shooting fireworks, which is kind of hard to do. So yeah. if you're gonna go, then he apparently. I don't know if you read the story, but he he launched a mortar shell off of his head. So, tell you, know you're a smart. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> but I'm excited to talk about this one with you guys. Not only that it's it's past long, long past overdue, but yeah. this movie ranked on my honorable mentions of top ten of all time. So uh-huh. this is one that I'm I've had circled for a while that I was going to bring up and and work into these throwback conversations. So we're finally here, finally get to talk about it with you guys. I don't really know your opinions on it at all. Crazy. I don't think we talked about it much on that episode, just in passing, you know, on our mm-hmm. our episode 100 top 10 movies of all time episode. Yeah. Shameless plug. Check that out. But uh, it's going to be good to talk about this. I'm a big Back to the Future supporter, all that good stuff. So please save y'all's thoughts for a little bit later, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig deep into those. A little bit later, but we got a lot to do this evening. A lot to take care of. A lot of movie news to talk about. Some house cleaning to, d- to take care of. We're going to do weekly recommends towards the end. So if you want to just hear weekly recommends, which some people often do, you're welcome to fast forward through our shenanigans here. Spoiler but we, alert: Back to the Future Two. That's my recommend. Yep. Like I like I mentioned, though, we do have some house cleaning to talk about. Something has been brought to our attention over the past year. Uh, Some people have been upset over something called the American Treasure Hall of Fame. And uh, we take it, you know, somewhat seriously. I mean, when our nominees we bring to the table, we actually want them to get inducted. It's not like we bring people to the table who we hate and and just for the sake of it. We actually do put a little bit of thought into uh, who we induct. But the the listeners are even more passionate about it than we are. And uh, they take it seriously, and they don't want anyone in the American Treasure Hall of Fame who does not deserve to be in there. And I totally understand that. That's the point of it. Why have the Hall of Fame if there's no standards? There's no rules to abide by. So uh, I think Brian, a couple of years ago, maybe even two years ago, sure, uh, one of our first nominees you brought to the table... And, yeah, thanks uh, for throwing me under the bus there. And, Appreciate and it. And no, and no, and <laughs> I, I, it was Bill Cosby. And uh, if I if I remember correctly, we inducted him with flying colors because two years ago, oh, yeah. Bill Cosby was American treasure, first ballot American yeah. treasure. I mean, uh, he was coming off a, a big stand-up world tour and everything. Um, the Cosby Show was uh, talking about. You know, coming to streaming services, uh, NBC was actually talking with him about coming back uh, for a, for a sitcom, and uh, things were looking up for old old Bill, uh, but not so much anymore. <laughs> Those days are long gone, and uh, this yep. past week has just confirmed it. A lot of bad bad news has come out regarding some uh, assault allegations uh, on Mr. Cosby, and uh, and we we had removed him from the. American Treasure Hall of Fame. We had replaced him with his character from the Cosby Show, Heathcliff right. Huxtable. But now uh, I don't even feel right having Heathcliff in there uh, at all. Yeah, it's just yeah. seeing right. his face really sours me on the whole American Treasure uh, scenario. So what we've decided to do, or what Richard has decided to do, is replace him. And Richard, tell the listeners how we're going to do that. We are going to change things up since it's not a normal. American Treasure Ceremony. That next, the next one will take place in uh, August. Uh, we've already done July, so we what well, which we normally do is we each nominee nominate someone and then we vote on it. As long as they pass with a two thirds uh, ratio, then then they're in. But this time, what we're going to do, we normally each give one nominee, three total. 
but we're going to each give one this time, and then we're going to leave it up to the fans. You can vote via madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com. You can vote, which is also available in the contact portion of our website. You can also vote via our Facebook. Just search Mad About Movies Podcast or our Twitter at MAM underscore podcast. As long as your vote is in by noon on Sunday, uh, with your choice of the three nominees we're given, we will make that person the first ever fan choice American treasure. And there will be no asterisk. No one will when the when the canons of history study this in years and in, in ancient or I'm sorry, futuristic alien uh, civilization study who were the Americans that mattered. They won't know who was decided by <laughs> the tribunal and who was decided by the fans. So, uh, yeah, so we will each give a nominee here and then you guys get to vote. And gals. Excellent. All three of you gals. We are literally <laughs> changing the course of history right now. Let's start this thing off. Who wants to go first? Richard, how about you? Who are you going to nominate to replace Mr. Cosby? All right. So this is actually one of uh, somebody that is kind of a, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that person because I don't know if they'll get the fan vote. I want to pick someone that's popular because quite frankly, guys, I would like to win. Okay. This is someone that's definitely been around the, the requisite 25 years. Uh, this is someone who's somehow managed kind of very distinct careers throughout three decades. Someone that is shown a great sense of humor about themselves since really kind of the middle of their career and didn't even come to it late. Someone that's shown dramatic chops as well as as uh, comedic chops, especially lately. And it's someone, quite frankly, that would challenge George Clooney for our best looking and Julia Louis-Dreyfus as our best looking American treasure. I'm talking about American treasure, Rob Lowe. Ah, have we talked about him in the past? I feel like we have. I don't believe so. Okay, I you're on the, you're asking you're talking to the guy that nominated Regis twice a, <laughs> a month. Yeah, so. no, I I, I think I think we've talked about him off air. I don't think we've talked about it on okay. on an actual podcast because we had discussions of whether we wanted to in in light of Cosby-ness if we wanted to delve into the career of somebody who maybe had a sex scandal at some point that we've exactly. all forgotten How about I, and don't that's why I thought address that that's Richard. why I thought it was fitting yeah I think <laughs> his was a little less scandalous oh yeah bills definitely that's my nominee you guys don't have to give your thoughts because the listeners will your nominee is Rob Lowe okay is there any Robert Lowe other than what you have already said is there any pitch you want to make to the listener on why he should be in parks and rec great wayne's world great tommy boy great done austin (laughs) powers great robert wagner impression i mean sure what else do you need mostly for parks and rec and wayne's world though not gonna lie okay brian go ahead i'm torn here because i i'm I'm with you richard like i want to pick somebody who is I either want to pick someone who's super popular and it's kind of a it, it's an easy choice for the fans to vote on, or I want to like throw out one of my weaker candidates. I don't want to I don't want to waste one of my my uh, my good ones on on the stinking fan, you know. Jeez, um, Rob Lowe was on my list. That's a good one. How about how about American Treasure Kevin Spacey? Okay. I, that's one that like I don't have like a great case for beyond just general he's awesome and he definitely has a sense of humor about himself. I think that's very clear anytime he goes on a talk show ever. And does like fifty impressions. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. He's got lots <laughs> of big the Johnny Carson. That Johnny Carson yes. bit is Absolutely. the fact that he always has a joke ready and then pretends like he just improvised it is mm-hmm. is a, my second favorite talk show bit besides Martin Short coming out like he's surprised there's an audience. Yeah. <laughs> which is always kills me. <laughs> I wish Martin Short always the curtain Short. opens and Martin Short looks like, oh, they like me and they're here. It's so funny to me. For like 30 years, he's been doing the exact same thing. It kills me every time. You mean North American treasure, Martin Short? Yes. Show some respect, Richard. Okay, I'm going to bring somebody to the table who is peaking right now, literally peaking right now. Uh, this person is, is that vest made out of moose skin, by the way? It is. The Canadian ones are moose skin. This person is peaking culturally. And uh, somebody who I'm surprised we haven't, brought, we haven't brought to the table in the past. Illustrious career on television uh, and in movies. And is uh, an absolute uh, voice in American culture. Guys, uh, American treasure, John Stewart. Yeah. I didn't, I guess in my head. Interesting. It's my nominee. So listeners, there you go. Who will it be? Rob Lowe, Kevin Spacey, or John Stewart? Once again, tweet us at MAM underscore podcast. Go to our Facebook page, comment there, or uh, shoot us an email. And the email address and contact info can be found via our website. So we'll get to that in a few weeks. I'm excited to see who, who we pick. This is going to be interesting. So let's move on and let's talk movie news. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumblings. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. Brian, what what uh what movie news do we have this week? Let's do about forty five minutes on on Downton Abbey <laughs> casting, and then we'll get to okay. Um, the right. Star well, Wars. I have and been Guardians saving stuff. my thoughts for two and a half. Minutes. Okay. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Never seen an episode. Um. All right. Let's get into Star Wars because. Because two yeah. of the three of us are big Star Wars nerds, and one pretends to be so that he can uh, placate us for an hour every time we talk I about like, it. I like Star Wars, <laughs> but I am setting a timer. Okay. I, think, so, I think Richard likes Star Wars way more than he lets on. That's my, I, that's my that's, gut. I wouldn't say let on. I think I'm open about how much I like Star Wars. It's just that – how do I put this in a non-offensive analogy? Um, it'd be like if I was if I was a – I watched every Dallas Cowboy game, but my two best friends had Dallas Cowboy tattoos on their necks. That's that true. That doesn't make me not a Dallas Cowboy fan. It just makes me not psychotic. Oh, gotcha. In the okay. words of your favorite movie, you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore. So I don't, oh, I don't know gosh, what to tell you. No, I'm crying. <laughs> oh, no. Richard's going to cry the rest of the podcast. <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry. I shouldn't have brought it up. Prove to their parents that they're telling <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Star Wars anthology film set for, I believe, a May 25th, 2018 release date is going to be about our dearly beloved Han Solo, Han Solo, if you choose. Uh, And we had we've we've gone back and forth on who the director was going to be. Right. Was this the one that Josh Trank was going to direct or was that further down the line? Yes, it is. That's what I thought. This was originally a Josh Trank production. He got fired from the from the production because he was a weird person and because uh, Fantastic Four is going to be terrible. Just if you're excited about Fantastic Four, just know it is going to be bad. Uh, Everyone acknowledges this at this point. So we we've replaced him. And uh, choice for director or directors, if you will, for the Han Solo anthology film is Phil Lord and Chris Chris Miller. 
of Lego Movie and 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street and Last Man on Earth fame. I'm 99% sure that I predicted them to get involved with Star Wars at some point. I feel like – correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I said – I feel like that was brought up. Yeah, yeah, like a couple months ago I said that would be awesome if Lord Miller did a Han Solo origin story (laughs) because their dialogue is so quippy and stuff. No, I think it was Joss Whedon. That's what I said. I said Whedon has already proven he can do it with with Mal Reynolds from Firefly, do that type of character. So we've definitely uh, yeah. talked about yes. Lord and Miller as potential Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is cool. This really excites yeah. me. These guys uh, literally have been offered every, every project in Hollywood and you know, every franchise looking for a reboot, uh, every existing franchise looking uh, to keep going. Uh, Lord and Miller are the guys seem to be the go-to guys. If, if these projects have any sort of comedic tone or, or lightheartedness, if you will. So, Brian, are you as excited as I am? Yeah, I'm stoked, dude. And I had no clue. I've been kind of off the uh, off the grid today, working, as they say. And uh, I did not know that this was happening until you sent the show notes over. So I looked at the text that you sent yeah, and uh, saw that. And it was like, whoa, I had to hit Twitter hard right after that because I was pretty I'm, – I'm, I'm very stoked. I can't – that's the – kind of the perfect choice in a lot of ways because it's a little outside the box and it does let your an anthology film can go a little bit different direction than a straight sequel or trilogy or whatever can and so it's just enough outside the box that uh you're gonna get something fresh and unique i think but it still makes a ton of sense uh which is that's that's kind of perfect perfect choosing as far as directors go i love pretty much everything that these guys have done i roll i rewatched uh cloudy with a chance of meatballs with my kiddo a couple of days ago and that's a really strong underrated yep. animated it's film. very it, i loved it when it first came out and no yeah. one like cared no one said anything I, I was like dude this movie was was really cool and it, in 3d and everything it was one of the more well done ones and no one no one gave a crap and you know that you got a sequel, and it did you yeah. know pretty well. It, it brought, I guess it uh, it brought attention to them. So it, mission accomplished right. uh, as yeah. as far as they're uh, concerned. But yeah, you know I don't think I was paying attention to that movie when it came out because I saw right. it. I didn't see it in theaters. I think I rented it uh, when you could still you know rent a physical DVD or something. But but I you know I watched it. I was like that's a fine movie. It, it's 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 great. I mean it's it's you know it's fine. My kid loves that book, and so we bought the movie and have watched it a couple times, and it's much better than I than I ever thought that it was uh, originally. And I, maybe that's just hindsight, having seen how great Lego Movie is and and all that stuff. But anyway, I I think everything they've done is pretty brilliant at this point. So giving them control of the best character in the Star Wars universe, uh, in my favorite franchise, in my favorite film of all time. I'm, I could not be more excited about that. Richard. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I love these guys. I love, uh, they did some really good episodes of how I met your mother as well. Mm-hmm. And are really kind of inventive directors. The jump street flicks are, are, I think awesome. Um, yeah. and Lego movie is near master, Peace worthy, and uh, we've kind of been wondering what these what their next move would be, and uh, this seems really interesting. I mean, this is equivalent to I I don't know is there was there a Marvel direct? I guess this is like when Joss Whedon got Avengers. I'm like that level of 
I wouldn't say stoked because I don't care as much as you guys. I don't mean that derogatory. Like I don't. It's just hard for me to get stoked about it. But I'm very confident that this is going to be an awesome movie, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, these guys, like I said, have been offered a lot. The, the last rumor we heard uh, was that they were sp- going to do Ghostbusters. Like that was the yeah. the push that uh, Sony wanted. They were really trying to get them to to come to Sony and to do, to reboot Ghostbusters. Of course, Paul Feig ended up doing it and you know changing the pitch around to, to an all female uh, centric film. There's still a chance, I guess, that they'll do the male version because that's still something that's probably going to happen. Channing Tatum, uh, a couple weeks ago on on the Howard Stern show, said he would love to do it. You know, Chris Pratt is supposed to be in that too, the male Ghostbusters. So that that's still a possibility. They're still going to do a Jump Street sequel where uh, the the Jump Street guys. It's basically a Men in Black Jump Street crossover, like no joke. Where they and that's that's going to happen even with the leak. Yes. Yep. It's um, they're they're moving forward with it. If Gosh, anything, I, that bums me out the most about that leak. That would have been such a mind blow. Yeah. And movie. and I think their opinion on it, Sony's opinion on it, is like, well, no press is bad press, especially for movies. It's just going to build hype. Uh, but it, yeah, it's going to be Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum as the their Jump Street characters getting recruited to join the Men in Black. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. I, I think that could be really fun too. It's a fun way to reboot Men in Black without resorting to, I guess, the Will Smith, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones characters. If you're gonna uh, try to make it a bigger universe than it than it already is, so that, they got that uh, coming down their docket. Of course, a, a ton of Lego movies, uh, Ninjago. That's the Ninja Lego franchise. It's huge on TV and in toys. Um, and they're just they're producing Bat- all those, right? Yeah, yeah, Lego Batman. They're doing a Lego movie sequel. Now, they're also doing an animated film for Sony or for Warner Brothers called Storks, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's about uh, storks who bring uh, babies, so that's a great idea, um, and that'll be huge. Hopefully, there's hopefully there's CGI dancing babies in it. Hopefully, these that's guys are big Star Wars fans. That's all I, I'm sure they are. No one would really risk uh, joining these this series and franchise without a love, you know. J.J. Uh, Abrams said, you know, he, he would feel disrespected. He would feel disrespectful if he didn't truly love Star Wars uh, and, and, and hopping on. So, man, Ryan Johnson, uh, Gareth Edwards, freaking Lord yeah. and Miller. This is getting awesome. I, I really want to know who they're getting for for Episode 9. That's going to be the the big the big kahuna because that's the, the last of these, I guess, the second or third trilogy of of Star Wars films. So let's, on your let's talk view. about who you guys want to see as yeah. uh, Han Solo. Unless it's old Han Solo and it's Harrison Ford, right? But it's a it's an origin pick, right? Yes, it's it's a it's him in his younger days. That's all I've really heard at this point. And I'll 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 tell you some names who have just been thrown out there, and and most of this is because these guys are just popular right now, and not necessarily that they <laughs> yeah. actually know anything about whether these people have been approached or anything like that. So uh, the first name I see on the list is Taron Egerton, who yeah. we wanted for Spider-Man, who's 25. It was in Kingsman, the Secret Service, this past uh, spring. It was great in that and, and has leading man potential. I'm not sure if it's Han Solo um, because of, I don't know how he can pull off. Uh, he's obviously Welsh, 
Like I said, that might be sure. might want to go for an American actor, but that's really all that's holding him back. I think he could fit oh. fit the persona pretty yeah, decently. Guy Ritchie version of Hans sure. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Maybe he had an accent and years of being in space <laughs> erased it. Yeah, because we all know outer space people have American accents, <laughs> except for Obi Wan. Yes. Uh, C-3PO has a British accent, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. True. Uh, Nicholas Holt is, uh, is rumored here, also 25 years old. Of course, uh, he's the beast in the X-Men, the new X-Men, uh, also in Warm Bodies, Mad Max, and that awesome <laughs> Jack and the Beanstalk Brian Singer film from a few years ago. Oh, man. Oh, my Instant gosh. classic. And about a boy. Yeah, yeah, about a boy when he was a boy. Richard's favorite, Miles Teller. Uh, of course, oh. made this list of possibilities. Only if the cup plays Chewy. If the cup plays Chewy, I'm in. <laughs> the cup with just a the styrofoam cup with like a, a some fur, a, some, some fur and like a an, ammuni- an, am- yeah, an ammunition sash on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we sh- if I I mean we should make that if, even if it doesn't happen for Hollywood we should make that a short film. I'm gonna go ahead and rule. Can we that get out. the cup though, or we have to replicate it? I'm gonna go ahead and rule out. I don't know. The um, cup yeah. is 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 pretty hot right now. I mean, the cup's <laughs> doing a lot of Broadway and uh, is really teaming up. But I think he's got. I think he's already tied to the Marvel universe for like three oh, or four okay. pictures. So it'd be yeah. hard to get him for. A Star I don't know Wars if you guys do this, but Birdman is actually based on the life of the cup. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> don't get that reference. But three people get these jokes. But. <laughs> Listen to the Spectacular Now episode, kiddos. And- Where Richard liked the movie, by the way. Gosh, that movie is annoying. I hate that movie so much. It's not it might be bad. Worse to me. That movie is not that bad. I hate You're it a- worse than that Wizard of Oz garbage with James Franco. I think I hate them both equally. I really wish you would have said, gosh, I hate it worse than that Wizard of Oz garbage with Judy Garland and just started. Sp- yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! You know what? I hate that movie now too, just because of the Franco one. <laughs> oh man. Okay, Kent. Other uh, rumors. Other rumors I see. Uh, other rumors I see on here. Garrett Headland. Yeah, uh, that could that's be an that, interesting. That's one. a really uh, interesting. That, that's a really good one. I think we mentioned Headland. Older though, right? Isn't he he's like thirty? Thirties. He's thirty. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. could play younger than that. Uh, that that yeah, that's. He's got a baby face. We mentioned Headland a few weeks ago, maybe uh, yeah, for another maybe role. Last week, yeah. I don't know what we role we were talking about, but it was during he, our Four Brothers podcast that we just did. Just for <laughs> us. He uh, he could pull it off in my. By the way, Garrett yeah. Headland of of Tron Legacy fame. See, that's and, the thing with him. I'm a I'm a big Garrett Headland fan, but I also would readily admit he's done he's been bad in some bad movies, and so yeah. yeah. It's a risk to cast him because I think he's a very talented actor. And I said, whatever week we were talking about him, I said, I think he has a great performance in him somewhere. But you do risk that if the material doesn't suit him perfectly, that maybe that doesn't turn out so well. Yeah. And he has a little bit of Jeremy Renner in him where he's a very good actor, but I wonder about his charisma. And considering the Han Solo role is pretty much 95% charisma, um, sure. that's troubling. But you know what's weird about Garrett Hedlund is he is been in the business twelve years, or eleven years, and he's done like eleven movie or like nine movies. Yeah, yeah. He's, like he hasn't he's, worked that much. 
It's like he started with Troy and mm-hmm. then did Four Brothers and Aragon and then like some small movies, then Tron, then like Inside Lewin Davis, Unbroken. I think he's, he's really this year. I think he's more he's made mistakes uh, as far as critically. I think he's in preservation mode right now. Like doesn't want to be that guy, you know, yeah. which is why he'll do Coen brothers and he'll do, uh, you know, unbroken, which was a, a fantastic story regard. And it had, you know, the Coens writing the screenplay and all, all that. Yeah. Everyone thought it was going to be huge. You know, yeah. I think he's really he was very good in that movie too. I he, thought was. he was great yeah. in, he was. uh, in unbroken. He was not the problem, but yeah. he would be interesting to me. Of course, some other names you see mentioned Ty Sheridan, of mud and tree of life fame who's 18. So if they go real young, yeah. uh, that could be a possibility. And let's see, uh, of course the obvious name, a few more obvious names, Taylor Kitsch. I see here. Yeah. Uh, he's 34. Aaron Paul. Who's, who's by the way, 35 years old, Aaron Paul. That's, and I thought he was way younger. Does, does not have the right stage presence. No, to be no, possible. he's too associated with it's Jesse. Down Solo. <laughs> if it's methed out Han Solo, then I'm, I think he's kind of the perfect choice. If he's wearing ski jackets everywhere, it's uh, <laughs> it's got to be Aaron Paul. And the, the most obvious one is Chris Pratt, who yeah. who everyone will probably push for as far as the fans. But I just he's he can't be in everything. He just signed yeah. a, a three picture deal with Jurassic to do all those sequels. He's going to do at least three Guardians and Avengers and. Yeah, and they're they're they want him for Indiana Jones. It's just too much, uh, Chris Pratt. It, it's just yeah. I'm sorry. I love Chris Pratt. He's he's the number one star in the world right now. Um, but he, you can't he can't do everything. Um, but not to say that if he gets cast as Han Solo, I'm going to be upset because I think Star Lord is is very close to Han Solo, and uh, I don't know if he would do that. Do you think he would do that? Considering he's already Star Lord. It would be difficult, like you said, to pull off all of these franchise, all this franchise work. And I think he has dramatic aspirations as well. So there's not a lot of room for Moneyball or Zero Dark Thirty when you're doing uh, Indiana Jones, Jurassic World, Guardians, and Star Wars in one year. Like that's it's a, that's tough to pull off. Yeah, I'm wondering about the Gosling call here. Putting out the Gosling. Yeah, Gosling's though. always been kind of my choice for for young Han Solo, but he's thirty five, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he, he yeah. kind of. I think he can play young, younger, but uh, that I think that's kind of on the line of what what you can get away with. He would probably be my first choice, Richard. I I think he's kind of perfect for that slot. He's but, too big of a star to not have a franchise vehicle if he wants one, and this would right. be one for him. Yeah, except for his. Remember the Titans spinoff that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> My first choice is actually Bradley Cooper, and but he is too old too. I, I wouldn't think they yeah. would go that old, but he would be a, a, a great Han Solo. And we've never seen him really in in much science fiction other than as Rocket Raccoon. Mm-hmm. So that's something I he hasn't really jumped into the blockbuster uh, territory other than you know The Hangover, which is you know a comedy blockbuster, but. I would love to see yeah. him do sci-fi. I think he would be great as as Han Solo, but I doubt that will will happen. The most likely scenario, oh, man, probably Chris Pratt at this point is probably the most likely out of the people we've mentioned. And of course, there are, there there's always the possibility of an unknown. Oh. We're gonna get some Pratt backlash here within a year. 
Oh, I'm sure. Publicly. Yeah. People are going to be t- I mean, I love Chris Pratt, but That's what I mean. People are be, people are going to fatigue. I mean, he's him. in every movie like you said, Kent. People yeah. He's no in a Magnificent I mean, 7 reboot. Of Tom Hanks. He's in a Magnificent 7 reboot coming out next year. He's got a Cowboy Ninja Viking um <laughs> what's it called? Uh, franchise. Yeah. So I mean, he's Championship. It, all that to say, I mean, he started his career doing small stuff like uh, Zero Dark Thirty and her and, and Moneyball, but I mean he's in full franchise mode right now. Right, um, Lego. I mean he's doing uh, like I said Jurassic World sequels. I forgot he's Lego too. Gosh. He's Lego movie. He's Emmett Lego Jeez, movie. Dude. He is uh, doing a movie called Passengers with uh, Jennifer Lawrence, which is like a gravity type uh, space film. Yeah, which is he's going be to be worth too. seven billion dollars in yeah. about three <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah, absolutely. If he just got. 0.5% back end on all of these movies. <laughs> he will be worth yeah. more than that, you know, like more than Warren Buffett. That is something to consider though, is by the time we actually get to, by the time he sits down at the negotiation table to, to hammer out his, his Han Solo contract, it's yeah. going to be a Robert Downey Jr. type deal. And I don't, I mean, I know, look, they're going to rake in money with all these movies, but I don't know yeah. that they're going to be super enthused to be like, yeah, here's seventy million when we could pay Ryan Gosling fifteen, you know, or something yeah. like that. Wow! And at some point, he will just own Disney, though, if he keeps doing this. So he might <laughs> yeah. just be able to write himself a check. <laughs> right. You've got some good choices, though. I, uh, yeah, I, Gosling would be my guy. Um, I but I I like Taron Egerton. I like Garrett Hedlund. I like Sam Claflin. Claflin, who plays Finnick in the uh, Hunger Games movies. I think he's pretty good and has a lot of charisma. I could see Miles Teller in this role. What I'm about not, like what about like Dave Franco? Like somebody like that. I saw that brought up, but he looks like he's five foot three to me. And I Han yeah, Solo just has this kind of presence that I don't I don't know that Dave Franco can embody appropriately. I have no I have Efron, no clue Efron. How tall. Yeah, I saw that one too. No no thank you. Um I, I Efron know, uh, could be could be cool. I'm that actually... I can't. I just don't think there's too many people like me that can't take him seriously, and I don't know that you can. I've tried because Richard's yeah. been driving the the Zac Efron bus for for a while, and I'm I try. I've tried choo, to give him a out, but I just can't do it. I just don't see him as an actor. You know, I see him as uh, whatever High School Musical kid, and I can't. I can't get past it. I don't know that you can. I don't think you can take this character and hand that over to somebody who the the fan the fanboy is immediately going to uh, revolt against that selection. I don't think you can do that. Why don't we just do a throwback to two thousand and like eight and just give it to Sam Worthington? Is that still a thing? <laughs> we just give Sam Worthington oh, every part. Gosh, watch rewatching Terminator Salvation. I was reminded of sam worthington's presence in our life for a couple of years and wow that was what was that not a particularly great he was like the chris pratt of the like early obama administration (laughs) i don't know why because he was not even good i didn't even think i don't even think he has charisma at all no i know he's so so monotone and uh i i just yeah i don't i don't get it either that was weird it's a weird time Hey, at least we only have that. like seven more avatars. Yeah, by by Avatar Six, I think he'll. he'll I don't think he's in out. the other avatars. Remember when I told you I talked to a guy at Fox, what? I told you I talked to a guy at Fox who worked in their legal department, and he said they were in a uh, 
a dispute with with Worthington because the uh, the new Avatar films are only on Pandora. Like, there's no Earth version of uh, of the characters. There are all the the Navi uh, blue people, if you will. And uh, oh, okay. their argument was, we don't want Sam Worthington because he's we don't want to pay him a and b. He's uh, hard hard to work with. So can we just use his likeness without? actually hiring Sam Worthington, you know, that's the debate is like, he's like, no, you can't use that character if I'm not in it because that's my face, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so they were in a dispute with that. I don't know what ended up happening there with it. I'd be surprised if they do. They, they James Cameron just invented a new Sam Worthington. Yeah. Breaking news. <laughs> he can do it's what, in 3d and everything. Yeah. It's only underwater though. So it's kind of <laughs> So yeah, that's gonna be gonna be crazy fun to to figure out and to watch because that that I'm circling that one as my most anticipated Star Wars film uh, that's coming up. Uh, we don't know much at this point about Episode Eight. We know what we know is about the Force Awakens, which come out comes out this year, and Rogue One, which comes out next uh, summer, the X-wing fighter film. So yeah, exciting times in Star Wars land. I think it's about due time, guys. Let's talk about uh, Back to the Future. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. All right, let's start like we usually do, fellas. Let's keep it general here. Let's save some spoilery stuff. Uh, for later, but I want to talk at length today about the impact of this film. Uh, it's 30 years. We're celebrating its anniversary, but man, this one, more than most films we talk about, more than most uh, throwback movies that we bring up on the show, this one has some very, very, very loyal fans and, and people that have taken it upon themselves to protect the legacy of, of Back to the Future. And this is one that's been uh, swirled around in Hollywood for a number of years that Universal has said, we actively want to remake Back to the Future at some point. And they're, you know, of course, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, the creators of Back to the Future, have the ultimate say, I'm assuming. But they've expressed willingness uh, to do it too. So eventually it will happen. Uh, but right now, as we talk uh, in the middle of July of 2015, it's not in the uh, current plans or no announcements have been made. So this is, this is one that people hold dear and true in their hearts and, and people have great, 
great memories of, of seeing it in 1985. So I want to get y'all's general thoughts before we hit it, head into spoilers. Let's start with Brian. Brian, what are your thoughts on the, on the franchise as a whole? Did you like this growing up? Uh, give us your Back to the Future uh, thoughts. There was probably a time when this was my second favorite movie. Uh, as a kid, I, I watched it many, many times, and I have always just been enamored with it. North American treasure Michael J. Fox is, is one of my favorite performers ever and uh, always has been, just always been somebody that I have gravitated towards. I think Christopher Lloyd is fantastic. The, the DeLorean is, is so cool. It was so cool when I was a kid, and, and I always enjoyed uh, what that look and the way, the way that they, they used it. Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies ever, and it, it was in contention for my top ten spot when we did our ten favorite movies of all time. And uh, if I remember correctly, it dropped somewhere into the mid-teens just because there's just a lot of movies, guys. Just a lot of movies out there. But um, I hadn't rewatched it in several years. For some reason, I've watched Back to the Future 2 within the last couple of years but hadn't watched the first one. I don't know. That doesn't sound like me. I'm usually a sit down and watch all of Because I've only ever seen the third one. So that's where we're. (laughs) It's going to be a weird talk. Uh, And I love it. (laughs) I haven't. But yeah, I hadn't hadn't watched it in in several years for for whatever reason. But I have the glorious Blu-ray 25th anniversary edition. And I popped in last night and watched it. And this is just a stinking great blockbuster movie and and i think it's it's a type of movie can't you brought up the remake and uh all that stuff and i'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more here but i i don't know that you can remake this movie because um my wife and i were sitting there watching it and and she she's not as much of a a movie person as as i am or any or a you know professional critic like we are but uh she said you know i don't think they they don't make movies like this anymore and i and i think she's i think she was right Jurassic World is the first like real blockbuster of the of this year. It kind of felt like a throwback, didn't it? It, it kind of felt like a, a little bit of a a lost art in some ways. We don't get that kind of blockbuster anymore, and we definitely don't get this kind. That is, um, it's almost an adventure movie more than uh, sci-fi or or blockbuster. It's it's so comedic, uh, which doesn't it just doesn't i don't know that just doesn't get played the right way in most of our blockbusters i think marvel tries to be comedic and and has some levels of uh of success with that but this is a really funny movie it's also really good as a sci-fi film it also stands up really well as an adventure movie it also stands up really well as uh, a coming of age sort of film and uh so it kind of bridges a gap and in a romantic comedy too in a romantic comedy yeah in a weird way a really weird way uh but it works and and it so it, it kind of bridges the gap between a lot of different genres and that is so difficult to do and i i give zemeckis and gail so much credit for doing that and and i believe we'll talk about zemeckis more in a bit and i've i've said in the past i'm not a zemeckis fan but this movie is a this is a masterpiece back to the future is a summer movie masterpiece and i I can't imagine uh, a remake or a reboot ever coming around that could capture that essence appropriately. Uh, this is a great movie. One, one of my favorites, and I excluded it from my top ten, again, because there's just so many great movies that I love. It 
it might should have gotten a place uh, having rewatched it for the first time in a few years. And I know we have lots of, of listeners uh, and colleagues and whatnot that would tell you that this is their favorite movie of all time. And I, I love that. It's just a, it's just straight up. This is a great summer movie. I think we had a guest on a couple weeks ago. That was their, it was their number one. I'm not sure if it was Aaron or, uh, or Eric. But, okay, uh, I can't but, remember that either. I know, I know James Wallace. James Wallace. That's maybe who it was from Alamo Draft House. You're absolutely right. Yeah. that's who it was. Uh, Loves Back to the Future and, and totally understood. By the way, the, the Alamo Draft House is doing three, uh, 30th anniversary screenings of the film. So if you're near Draft House, it'd be a great, uh, great thing to go check it out on the big screen if you're you're so able to do so. Richard, what are your thoughts on it? It like Brian, it was at one point my favorite. Well, not like Brian, but and similar to Brian's thoughts on the movie, it was at, at one point one of my favorite, uh, it was my favorite trilogy along with Star Wars. They were like tied, even though the third one's abysmal. I love, love these movies as a, as a kid and then kind of rediscovered them. I would say late teens, early twenties and got kind of into them again. Cause I felt like there was a period there where at least in my life, no one talked about back to the future. It just like kind of disappeared and i wanted to be this cool like kind of hipster champion i suppose of of back to the future and uh but had this cool box set and then i realized that i bought it on a at a clearance and it was full screen i remember being devastated by that but anyway i know and so i couldn't return it anyway the woes of dvd purchasing remember when that was a thing <laughs> um but uh yeah great i love I love Michael J. Fox so much and uh, Christopher Lloyd and uh, American Treasure Crispin Glover in my book. Um, but uh, but mostly for Willard, not this film. Yeah. No, mostly for his just his fiction and his appearances on Letterman where he legitimately freaked Letterman out. Yeah. No, I love these. I think they're – you know, Zemeckis is not one of my favorites like Brian. Um but this is something that he got tonally perfect, which is weird. It's weird that he could never kind of rediscover the tone of this movie because I think it's awesome for a blockbuster. Uh, and then he just got creepy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a, a movie that's in my definitely in my pantheon. It's one of those movies. I have kind of a list of movies that I that I love. But then there's movies that I can't wait to show my kids. And this is maybe tops that this in Star Wars. Uh, are on tops of that list, and now maybe some of the Marvel movies have probably creeped into that too, just because they, you know, they're so kid friendly. I just remember so vividly uh, seeing yeah. this film and and being just blown away. Uh, I think Star Wars and Back to the Future are, were the two first like big tentpole films that I was exposed to growing up. Uh, that that was you know away from my normal Saturday morning cartoon routine, you know. Uh, yeah. Stuff that I would throw the VHS on and watch religiously. Man, uh, what a special film this was. Uh, what a formative film this was into my just perception of what a movie should be, what a blockbuster should be. Uh, it's perfectly cast. And and I think it, it owes a lot of credit to its performances, more than the concept, more than the story, more than uh, the execution from Zemeckis and and from Universal. The The, the, the casting is just so timeless and flawless and, and everything. I mean, I can't imagine anybody else in any of these roles, you know, literally. So yeah. it, uh, it, it has that going for it for sure. It makes Kristen, Glo- Chris, Crispin Glover, like 
pretty bearable, which is uh, not an easy, easy <laughs> task. And just ask David Letterman. And, and like I said, I mean, it's just timeless. It's, it's, it's iconic. Every aspect of this movie is, is iconic. I mean, you can, you know, any frame from the movie, you could throw on a poster and put it in the Smithsonian and, and people would go to the exhibit. You know, it's just, it's, 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 just, it's etched itself that deep into American psyche and American culture. Yeah. Almost as much as Star Wars has. And I know that's, yeah, that's crazy to say, but it really, really has. When I think of the 80s and the 50s, I think of Back to the Future and the future. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it's synonymous with three different time periods in my brain. Like, if you mentioned 50s, I immediately think of that. You mentioned 80s, that, that the future, I think of the hoverboard. And it's like, that is the first impulse I have. And it, it kind of colors that whole experience to me because we were all. Brian was the only one born before this came out. Kent and I were born the, kind of the year or two after. So, like, it's how I experienced the 80s, 50s, and futures through this movie, which is, which is crazy. It, it's just such a, such a uh, fantastic example of complicated storytelling, but also extremely s- simple storytelling. You know, <laughs> the concept of it is extremely ambitious, I should say. Like we were talking about, Terminator Salvation, uh, to go back into past movies, to uh, go forward and then go backwards back into s- events that we've already seen. It's it's extremely uh, time-consuming from a screenwriting uh, plot point uh, planning perspective. It's just – it's not something that I – if I was a screenwriter and, uh, and you know I got tasked with, hey, make a movie about – you know, time travel. It's it's one of the more overwhelming things a, from a screenwriting perspective you could probably be approached with. Uh, having said that, this is a completely original idea, which I really really appreciate, and uh, and all the more reason for them not to reboot it because this is a standalone, such a great original piece. Yeah, that uh, it it soils the name of the original. It really really does. If you at all try to reinvigorate this uh this franchise well, and and it's not necessary either like yeah. you guys both watched it this week does it look dated or like it needs an update or anything like that i don't i don't think so i think much like jaws that we talked about a couple of weeks ago this movie still looks great and and it back to the future too sure it suffers from antiquated cgi technology sure, uh, sure. you know blurred vision of what our future will be in 2015 which we're living in right now right it suffers from that but from a from a film quality standpoint and from a themes overall themes and and all that standpoint back to the future one holds up great it looks it looks spotless and there's there's no reason i always think that the the real the only reason to remake or reboot a a franchise like that is if it if it wasn't that great to begin with, if, if the first one, did, up, yeah, if the first one didn't live up to its potential, yeah, uh, like like a RoboCop did, RoboCop or, or is maybe always a, my number one example, like that, yeah, should, or a Judge that Dredd, been, Judge Dredd, yeah, yeah. absolutely, Judge Dredd, that's a great one too. Those are the movies that you should be remaking. Gone in sixty seconds, you know, sure. not not classics that still you should you could, I think you could roll out Back to the Future in theaters today, and it would be the number one movie of the weekend as long as Jurassic World didn't just come out, you know, um, sure. It looks fantastic, and it, man, it really holds up. Like I, I said, from a thematic standpoint, it's uh, it still you know rings home and and all that, and it just it gives you those warm fuzzies still thirty years later. 
You got to hand it to Michael J. Fox for making this is what it is, though, because the it's well publicized the whole Eric Stoltz fiasco that uh, yeah. they shot six weeks of footage with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly and cut him off the project. Uh, it, you know, they they approached Michael. J. I did not know that until this moment. Really, really, believe it or not. Okay, yeah, it's a weird gap, so, I guess, in my. So this, this did he wear the mask mask the whole time? Is that why it was weird? <laughs> the, the listener probably didn't know much about it. I'll, I'll tell the story real quick. So Michael J. Fox was the number one choice. Uh, he was peaking kind of at that time. He had a really successful show called Family Ties. Uh, Teen Wolf and stuff like that was was pretty popular. And and he was what the uh, the writers studio were looking for. Uh, but the Family Ties people wouldn't let Michael J. Fox out of his contract. Michael J. Fox had to pass, and so they moved on, you know, completely thought, okay, there's no way we're going to get him now. They hire Eric Stoltz. They shoot six weeks with Eric Stoltz, and it's just not working. It's just none of the none of the gags, the visual gags are working. His reactions, it's just dry. He doesn't have the chemistry with Christopher Lloyd that they thought they needed uh, in the Marty McFly character. And uh, six weeks into production, they pull the plug and basically – Say to Eric Stoltz, thanks, but no thanks. Wow, some You're of this is home. on YouTube. Yeah, 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 you can go yeah, and watch. It's basically the the footage I've seen is Marty when he first goes back to 1955 Hill Valley, his whole reaction to the whole town. You know, the scene where he's walking through uh, Hill Valley and looking at all the old signs and recognizing things and all that. That scene you can watch uh, the Eric Stoltz version of, and it's quite drastically different than Michael J. Fox. And, and, you know, it got to a point where the filmmakers were like, where Bob Gale and Zemeckis were like, you know, it's not even worth going forward at this point. We're just wasting money. If it's not working, it's not working. Who are we kidding trying to make it work when it's not? And so they basically fire Eric Stoltz and, yeah. and go. And apparently, by the way, Stoltz agreed. Like, he, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of talk that he basically came to Zemeckis and said, this is not going well. Like, right. I don't get, I don't know what I'm doing. But they basically went to the Family Ties people and begged at their doorstep to let them have Michael J. Fox for, you know, 60 days or whatever it was to shoot the film. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. They end up getting him. They end up recasting the, the McFly character as Michael J. Fox. And, you know, he is, he's as Marty McFly as he is Michael J. Fox now. I mean, he's just, it's, it's, it's iconic really. And he just has the Jason Bateman quality of the reaction is, is everything. The, 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 the long pause is there's so much comedy in that. Yeah. And he is so great at that in this movie. And I think the shot that really defines why McFly was great is, is the shot where he goes back to 1955. Marty does and, and sits next to his dad, George in the diner. And there's that shot where like, you know, side profile of George drinking his or eating his ice cream or whatever. And then you see uh, Marty kind of, you know, come into frame looking at his dad, like, Oh my God, that's my dad as a kid, you know, I'm sitting right next to him, but his face and his reaction and his, uh, emotion and, and, and all that. in that scene, it just says so much and he doesn't even say anything, you know, he's just kind of looking at his dad, but go back and watch the Eric Stoltz version of that. And then watch the Michael J. Fox version of that. And you'll mm-hmm. know exactly why they wanted my, uh, Michael J. Fox over, over Eric Stoltz. It's really, it's drastically different. But so that's that story, and you know Eric Stoltz went on to do other stuff, uh, and, and have a pretty decent career of his own. Not, of course, not the not the icon of 
of Michael J. Fox, but you know, still had a had a good run. So so he's great, and man, Christopher Lloyd is just is just great as well. He's like I said earlier in the episode, I can't imagine anyone else in that role of, of Doc Brown. It's just yeah. it's such a culmination of everything we every caricature we have of scientists and and uh and what a scientist is, you know, like Albert Einstein would be or uh, Nikola Tesla or, or somebody like that. And he's, you know, he's the he's the exact culmination of what you would picture him if you read this say read this screenplay or book and mm-hmm. you picture Doc Brown. What are some generic likes that you would have for Back to the Future, Brian? Like big time when you think of this film, what are what's the main stuff that that comes to mind? Um, I always enjoyed the interactions between Marty and Doc Brown. I always thought those were a lot of fun. This movie has a lot of subtle humor that I don't think that Robert Zemeckis ever demonstrated again the rest of his entire career. Um, even little things like how Christopher Lloyd that maybe have aged really well, like. The fact that he says, man, he lo- basically is, it says that Doc Brown looked like he was 50 when, uh, when in the 50s. And then, in, uh-huh. you know, and now that's kind of the same thing. I mean, Christopher Lloyd has always kind of looked that way. He's always, as long as we have known him, he's looked like he was 87 years old. Um, I always <laughs> thought that was kind of funny. I love the little references to the, the way that Marty uses his knowledge of the future, like with Darth Vader and. Uh, all that yeah. kind of stuff to to get his dad to ask out his mom. I always think that that's very funny. I love the the end. I, I the the invention of rock and roll is it's so clever to me the way that it's done. It's kind of the exact opposite of the lack of cleverness of Forrest Gump. Um, it, it it works kind of organically within that film, and, and yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but it it kind of goes with the tone, I guess. Um, yeah, so I, having rewatched it this time around, I, I noticed more of the, the, the lines than I, or the jokes than I've noticed in the past. Um, and, uh, just the little subtle things like, like the, uh, Twin Pines Mall becoming the, the Lone Pines Mall because of Marty knocking down (laughs) the tree. Little things like that, I think are, are kind of part of what makes this such a, a brilliant movie on top of being in just so incredibly entertaining, you know, and, uh, the way that, that Zemeckis and Gale and Spielberg and everybody involved were just kind of able to make this, like I said at the beginning, just cross over genres and, uh, be such a, an era defining film. Um, I don't think that that is easily replicated at all. And, uh, I'm always, every time I watch it, I come away more impressed with that stuff than I do, say the plot or even the, the structure of the movie. I'm just kind of blown away the way that they were able to pull all of this together because you, you said, Ken, it's a very simple movie from a plot standpoint and it totally is. Um, but it's very, very complicated to make all this stuff work. It's, it's a complicated story and it's a complicated premise, but it's so simply told. Yeah, if yeah, that yeah, makes totally. sense. Sure. It's, yeah. The way they That's tell it is so, yeah, effortless they don't there's not a lot of exposition the exposition exposition that's there to explain time travel is so mm-hmm. understandable mm-hmm. it's so black and white any dummy in the theater it, there's no way you can be confused at yeah. how they because they explain it so well and it makes so much sense 
randomly that a freaking DeLorean time machine right. makes sense. As an audience, you're like, okay, I buy that. It yeah, goes 80 miles an hour. It goes back in time. That's we, all I need to know. We talked about you know? it last week on ter- on Terminator. Yeah. Uh, Terminator Genesis spent what felt like seven hours, but may have only been seven minutes. I'm not really sure, but it felt like an eternity trying to explain the science of their stupid sci-fi. And instead, Back to the Future is just kind of like, when once it gets to 88 miles an hour, it works. And you're like, okay, sure. All right. I got yep. it. You know, that's, there's that's a fine flux capacitor. There, yeah, exactly. Oh, that explains everything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. I love the way that that is presented. This is, I mean, it's just such a great movie. And I'm, every time I rewatch it, I think I, I kind of pick out a different moment. Where I'm like, man, that's a, that's a really brilliant little piece of acting there, or that's a really cool concept. That's kind of, just playing in the background almost, um, which is that's that's some of my favorite kind of movie watching and TV watching is pick, like Arrested Development. I've always said you can watch Arrested Development 15 times and you'll still pick up new jokes. Um, I think that this is kind of similar. You, you, you become I at least become a little more enamored with a different piece of the puzzle kind of every time I watch it. And I think that makes that's part of what makes it so special. Yeah, man, it's just it's just so iconic and and yeah. I I know I use that word, but I want to get specific here and talk about the car. I know Marty McFly's a big deal, I know Doc Brown's a big deal. Uh Leah Thompson's great as well as Lorraine. We haven't mentioned her, but she's absolutely awesome uh in this role. But the freaking star of the film is the car. Um uh, <laughs> this thing is the coolest still 30 years later. It hasn't dated it at all. It, it is the coolest car ever in the history of movies. Even and though we all know it's a terrible car. Uh, everyone That's knows. Yeah. It. It's just so freaking cool looking. And uh, man, the production design on that deserves an Oscar. I don't know if the guy ever got one, but uh, they interview him a little bit on the special features of the 25th anniversary about what they were going for. And, Man, it just it just looks so cool still. And the scene where they're at uh, the Twin Pines Mall and uh, Doc Brown first shows Marty the DeLorean is just – it gives me goosebumps thinking about it still. When, yeah. the, when, when, uh, when Marty and Einstein the dog are sitting there and the, the back of the trailer comes down and the smoke coming out and the, the car backs out of the smoke-filled trailer – it's just so freaking epic. <laughs> and it's like, it couldn't have been cooler than it was. You know, it's like the coolest reveal ever. And you're just like in awe of this car. Mm-hmm. And then this awesome scene goes down where Doc basically explains time travel and, and you know, demonstrates it right there in the, in the freaking parking lot of the mall. And the whole, the whole story, you know, kicks off right there. And the one thing that bothers me about that scene, and it freaking pisses me off every time I watch the movie is there's the most obvious green screen shot where the car goes back in time to 88 miles an hour and Doc and Marty are standing there and the, the you know the fire tracks sort of go between their legs and they turn around you know it's a shot that you see in almost every clip of back to the future yeah. you see that but i mean it's the, Doc is standing like directly on to one of the flames like it's one of the more most poor compositing jobs I've ever seen on a green screen. Like how hard would it have been in, in the next shot? It's sort of a jump cut. And the next shot is them actually standing there on the parking lot with the flames there, you know, 
So it's like, why couldn't you just light the flames and have them turn around and look at the camera? You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the need to go back there and do that because it it just doesn't doesn't hold up at all, and it really really infuriates me. But man, that whole scene, the setting, and everything the the fact that they never explain like it wasn't raining at all but the fact that the entire parking lot is like soaking wet like looks really cool and stuff you know yeah and it just works so well uh the fact that it's at night and everything it just all comes together so beautifully and uh man that's just every time i watch this movie and that that scene comes on i'm just so pumped and it's just so and i don't think there's a, a maybe star wars would be the only uh the only thing that i would compare it to like you show somebody you know 10 seconds of that they'll immediately know what it is you know it's just mm-hmm. that yeah it's yeah. it's that popular and that uh that iconic so i still get stoked if i ever see a delorean on the road yeah i and saw there is, the- there's one around here like over in the keller area that i'll occasionally spot and i'm i'll totally geek out on it again just like richard said knowing that it is one of the worst cars ever made i but saw one the other day makes it better on the way to work and the license plate was like Back to Future or something like that. So it seems like the people that buy them up, they only made like 30,000 of them or something. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. that yeah. popular of a car as far as numbers go. But the Surely people, the there's people, a documentary on the DeLorean. Oh, there is. There is. It's on Netflix, I think. Okay. And uh, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really cool car, and, and it's really the perfect choice. The, the original screenplay had the time machine as a refrigerator. Yeah. Basically like a TARDIS uh, type thing where they open the door and they walk in this old refrigerator that they've rigged up to go back in time. And man, this is just so much cooler. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Imagine <laughs> this movie with a fridge. would not nearly be the uh, the thing. Yeah, It, would have, it wouldn't have held up at all. That would have put we you in the frigidaire and got it to 88. <laughs> Dude, the, my biggest pet peeve with this movie, <laughs> and I don't know if you have this if you can look past this at all, but I hate, not hate, but I really, really hate, or I really, really dislike <laughs> the the whole bit with the disappearing out of photographs. It, it's a understandable way to sort of explain how they're affecting the past, you know, it, in, with each event, but I hate yeah. the fact, not, not how they do it, but there's a part where, Doc is explaining to him that, you know, whatever he does in the future can dramatically affect the past or no, whatever he does in the past can dramatically affect the future. If he kills a fly, it could affect the entire future. And he looks at a picture of his family and like his brother's head is gone and that's it. Like, why don't, why not just erase his whole brother from the the picture, you know, and say, look, your brother's gone. Not look, your brother's head's gone. Like, I guess something he did made him. (laughs) <laughs> Decapit- his brother decapitated like yeah. you know it just it's so He's got cheesy pretty rough around the mcfly house yeah i mean it's just you could have done it in in such a more simple way it doesn't bother it me but it, it bothers I me i think it yeah. it uh it's definitely been used in other movies so many times that now it's kind of it feels cliche even though they were kind of the first ones to do it you know right and that's that's kind of an unfair standard to hold something to but uh but yeah it, it's been overdone i would say since then totally uh richard what were your some what were some of your big likes trying to think of some original ones that you guys i love the score on this movie yeah yeah a lot um i love yeah the both the score and then the music used therein um i love i love the 
Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about one of the biggest blowhards of all time in real life, but one of the great villains outside of Shooter McGavin and Darth Vader Biff. of all time, Biff. Yeah. yeah. I love Biff. Biff's great. But I want to read you. I've got uh, uh, a, a one of the best IMDb biographies of all time is from the actor that plays Biff, Thomas F. Wilson. Huh. Yeah, um, I know what and, you're going to say, and I'm I'm super stoked. Go okay, so it. I'm going to read it for you guys. I hope it's still there because um, it's one of the funniest things of all time. Hold on, let me pull this up here. You guys go. Feel free to stall for a second. By the way, score done by Alan Silvestri. Yeah, who has uh, yeah. done a lot of stuff with uh, Zemeckis. He did Forrest Gump. Uh, he also did the Avengers uh, score. And Captain America, the first Avenger, R- really good, uh, really good uh, composer. Okay, so here we go. Are you guys ready for the Thomas F. Wilson uh, bi- biography on IMDb? This is yes. from his website. He's also a stand-up comedian, um, and I, he's I get he does a song about um, Back to the Future. But this is one of the biggest blowhard biographies of all time, and I hope it's ironic, but I don't <laughs> think it is. Tom Wilson is a creative artist whose professional career has explored almost every imaginable artistic discipline, blending them into a unique and very individual declaration of a life in the arts. <laughs> a man of fervent and but private faith his whole life. The last few years have been interesting, with hundreds of invitations to speak at conferences and retreats, as well as the opportunity to record the music he began playing in church in the 1970s. Tom has enjoyed a successful career as an actor, writer, and comedian for almost for over 20 years. He has more than 50 films, television shows, and comedy specials to his credit and has appeared on talk shows with everyone from Johnny Carson to Jay Leno to David Letterman to Regis Philman and Kathy Lee Gifford. Regis so goes- Philman? The real Regis Philman? Yeah, Philbin. Oh, Philbin. Oh, sorry. But uh, <laughs> he goes on to talk about his uh, some other animation stuff he does. But it, it closes with this, and this is one of my one of my favorite things. Um, as a writer and producer, he's written for several prestigious literary magazines, as well as for Universal Studios, Disney, Fox, and Film Roman Studios, and produced a groundbreaking series of debates for Canadian television <laughs> called The Seven Deadly Sins, which examine the cultural values and the role of the arts within them. As an avocation, he is a photographer and painter. With a photograph in the permanent collection of the California Museum of Photography and painting on the walls of the guest bedrooms of many close personal friends. Or as artists like to say, in many private collections. Actor, comedian, writer, musician, and artist, Tom Wilson has transcended the limitations of pop cultural celebrity to become an artist of honesty, gravity, and grace. Wow. That's pretty spectacular. (laughs) North American. We should put him in the voting for North American Treasure. Yeah. He's Biff. He's actually American. <laughs> He's born in Philadelphia. I don't know what all the Canadian oh, stuff man. is about. Okay. Maybe they're the only ones that buy his stuff. I don't know. Sorry, Canada fans. But uh, yeah. So, the, I mean, you can't top that as a, as a biography. I might rewrite some version of it for myself for our website. But I feel like people wouldn't get it. Tom Wilson also has a business card that he carries around with him everywhere. Yes. yes. Because he always gets recognized because he looks exactly like old Biff. In the movie, like right now, he looks just like he did when they put all the makeup on him. So he gets recognized all the time, of course. And when people recognize him, oh, my God, are you Biff? He just hands him a card and walks away. And this is what the card says. 
and says, I'm Tom Wilson. I was in all three Back to the Future movies. Michael J. Fox is nice. I'm not in close contact with him. Christopher Lloyd is nice. He's a very shy man. Crispin Glover is unusual, but not as unusual as he sometimes presents himself to be. <laughs> we got along nicely. Leah Thompson is also nice. Eric Stoltz originally played Marty, but was fired because his performance was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just an entire, basically uh, in, in eight point font, an entire business card, uh, covering every question that he gets every single day. So that's a awesome way to go about it. So he's got a little O'Malley in him, <laughs> Biff Tannen, Tom Wilson. Um, but yeah, no, he's great, great, uh, in all three of the movies, uh, by the way, we haven't talked at all about the sequels. This is strictly titled back to the future, but I wanted to get some of your thoughts on the other films as well. Um, my personal favorite is, uh, back to the future Two. Just because I think it's so clever to not only go to the future, the future future, 2015, 30 years after uh, 1985, but to go back into the first movie, I thought was a really cool um, yeah, scenario. Like and they pull it off so well. I mean, they, they literally almost reshot the entire first movie or, or parts of it, you know. So another ambitious uh, thing to do. But I think, Richard, I think you were joking earlier about the back to the future three. I don't think it's a, a bad movie. Uh, it just gets a bad rap because it's set in the old West. Like it suffers from bad premise that, uh, it suffers from a bad premise more than it does bad performances or a bad story or bad execution. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if you were to tell me, okay, um, oh, I don't even know. Uh, Jurassic park is going to be set you know, in uh, the year 2,225, you're like, well, no, I don't want to see that. Like, who cares? Uh, but it actually ends up being like a really cool thing. You know, it's like the idea itself isn't something we wanted, but after we saw it, we're like, okay, that was pretty cool. You know, I, I, I always feel like that. I always am bummed out when I watch Back to the Future 3 when I revisit these. But every time I watch it, I'm like, during, you know, during the process of watching, I'm like, this is way better than... I remember it being. Yeah, you know? I don't I think it's a it. bad movie. I just think that it's uh, not, maybe not necessary, and doesn't feel like it fits with the other two. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite one, Brian? It's this one. First one is my favorite. Uh, Back to the Future Two was uh, I qu- I quite enjoy, but I think you're. I think one of you said it earlier. It doesn't hold up as well now as it. It doesn't look as good <laughs> that as it did uh, when it wasn't 2015. Um, but no, I think the original is a the quite quite uh, obviously the best of the three, and I think it's it's my favorite as well. It it holds up so stinking well. You mentioned earlier, Brian, some of the simple gags that they uh, that they bring here, and this goes back to what I was saying about simple storytelling. Uh, for example, when you you talked about uh, him inventing rock and roll, uh, that, yeah, you know they, when they when they. Right out the beats of the story, they obviously put, okay, we want Marty to invent rock and roll. That means we have to set up him liking rock and roll in the in the first act, uh, which they do perfectly. And then, you know, first five minutes, he's performing in his school talent show or whatever. And uh, they also say, you know, make, a, make an index card and uh, put it on their board that says, uh, Marty invents skateboarding. 
And so they have to establish that uh, Marty likes skateboarding when yeah. he's a, a kid. So the first scene of the movie, literally the first shot we see of Marty is him walking into Doc's lab and all we see is his shoes and skateboard. And so it, it very simple, you know, setup and uh, payoff type scenarios we have here. But, uh, you know, executed uh, great. And uh, it really uh, goes to show that, you know, simple, simply thinking something out is goes a long way, you know, not rushing sure. something, uh, actually making everything call back to something uh, that happened earlier in the film. It's real easy. Uh, but the, the main idea of the film was, what if you went to high school with your parents? That was the original premise. And they sort of used time travel to accomplish that. But I think the real premise that I attach myself to or that I'm most interested in is Marty having to go back in time to tell Doc Brown that he's going to be murdered someday. You know, that's the that's sort of the icing on the cake side storyline that we don't really get much of. That's not really the main focus, but it's still a really cool plot line that uh, you, you always wonder how Marty is going to tell Doc he's going to be murdered. And I think the way mm-hmm. that he does it by, you know, giving the letter and saying, open this on this day after I'm gone and all that. Um, really, uh, really great. Uh, great plot point there. Uh, one question that I do have is, and I haven't ever gotten this answered this last viewing. I thought about it even more, uh, but it's just another example of we don't even need to know because we don't care is how in the heck are Doc and Marty friends? We never know. <laughs> we just mm-hmm. assume that this old guy is friends with this high school kid. They're not related. You know, I think there's a hint uh, from the principal, from Principal Strickland, when Marty goes uh, to school or is, is tardy for school and he gets yelled at by the principal, and he says, "Are you hanging out with Doc Brown again? That guy's crazy." You know, there's a hint, I guess, maybe that Doc Brown used to work at the school as a science professor or something, but it's never, it's never told. And we know that uh, Doc, we know that. Marty wants to be a rock star and that Doc had built the giant amp. So maybe he was helping him that way, uh, you know, accomplish his dream. Maybe Marty is like a, uh, aspiring cinematographer. That's why Doc has him hold the camera all the time. I don't know. I don't know their relationship, how it started, but that could be a cool, interesting, like way to reboot back to the future is like a prequel to this about how he, how Doc and Marty met each other. That could be a non-sequel way to reboot it if they're going to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like with yeah. different actors and and all that. Um, that could be something I would be interested in seeing without completely re completely remaking Back to the Future One with a with a newer car and with a different actor, but doing the same story about going back to high school, your parents and and you know the under the sea dance and all that. It just it just wouldn't work. I don't think. I don't think yeah. anyone yeah. would like that. You absolutely does not need to be remade or rebooted. If you're going to sequelize it, I think the standard, you know, uh, Marty's kid finds the DeLorean in the basement and starts his own time travel adventure. That's kind of the only way that I think I could stomach it, if I'm going to be honest. And I and I wouldn't be – I'm not for that. I don't want it to happen. Don't, just leave it alone. But if you're going to – if you – if you told me we are going to make a a Back to the Future sequel, prequel, something, 
how do you want it to be? That's that's the only way that I think I could get past it a little bit. Like that yeah. that makes a little more sense to me. I but you yeah, you no one should remake or reboot this. Leave it alone. Just if you really think that the the uh moviegoer of 2015 would like to to see this movie, then just re-release this movie and make a, I don't know, a healthy sum of money off of that the way Jurassic Park did a couple years ago on its 20th anniversary. Just just put this back out there and I bet people would go see it. Yeah, one other thing I want to talk about is the ending. Put it in 3D. How about that? Yeah, put it in 3D. That would be cool. I'd, I'd be down for that. I don't. I think 3D re-releases are kind of out. I don't yeah. think they're doing those anymore, unfortunately. Something I want to talk about is the ending. And another little setup that we have, you know... In the screenplay is the fact that uh, Doc Brown explains the ending or the scenario of how they're going to go back to the future through models. And this is such an easy <laughs> way to t- tell an audience. I mean, it's so blatant, black and white. Like, do we literally have to get effing like toys and show you how this works? Okay, we're going to do it. Uh, he builds a model of the Hill Valley and he, he, uh, basically is ex- explaining to Marty how they're going to harness the energy of a bolt of lightning to channel it into the flux capacitor and there, therefore get the necessary energy or 1.21 gigawatts, which by the way, it's gigawatts. It's it's not gigawatts. That, that annoys me too. I read but, on IMDb last night that at the time, that's how it was pronounced. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we were stupid. Uh, and <laughs> You know, he shows them a model and, and they do a little test on the model, but the, the car flies off and bursts into flames uh, during their test. That's just such a simple way to put some danger in the back of the audience's mind when that actual scenario is happening in the in the final act that maybe this might not work, you know? Sure. And uh, even though we think and know, actually, that this is going to work because it's a movie, <laughs> uh, you, I still, to this day, uh, always, the, the tension is built up so well when, um, doc is trying to attach the cord at the last minute and all that on the, on the clock tower. So, you know, great execution, great setup and a great ending. I think this is a spoiler alert, by the way, they go back to the future. I don't know if you <laughs> could tell by the, yeah the, the conversation we've already had, but yeah, I love the ending, man. The, the where where we're going, we don't need roads line is just so freaking great, mm-hmm. and the in the way the car flies at the end and flies into the screen, it's just ah, it pumps me up, and um, the way Huey Lewis kicks in, it just kicks you right in the nards, just right square in them. Uh, no, great, great ending, and uh, you know, couldn't be better, really. Yeah. Uh, what let's let's give closing thoughts here, guys. Any any other general thoughts on Back to the Future? Let's talk Zemeckis a little bit, I guess. We can, uh, I guess, reinvigorate your hate for Zemeckis. <laughs> what is uh, what it is a uh, is it about him exactly that uh, you don't like? Yeah, I just don't like his. I I don't know. I don't. I think he's a guy who has. Uh, great ambition, which I respect. He has great vision for a general idea, a general concept, which I also greatly respect. Um, I just don't, I I don't know any movie since, definitely since Forrest Gump, and maybe since Back to the Future Two. I just 
there's nothing that um there's nothing that he's done that I'm that I that I like really and I I've I hate his sense of humor and I've talked about that in the past I don't think I think he thinks the things that we should think are funny I don't find them funny at all and I, and I think he's got kind of an almost uh almost demented sense of humor and it plays so well in back to the future and so I have a hard time understanding why it doesn't work for me in his other movies or what's getting lost in translation for, I mean, being such a Spielberg guy, like the easy answer to me is that Spielberg had more of a hand in putting that movie together than we want to admit, but, but that might just be a total cop out in my own brain. Yeah. I don't think so at all. This was a screenplay that they've been trying to get made for a long time, but maybe being around Spielberg and kind of, yeah. worked its way into it. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, anyway, I don't, I think that, like I said, I think he's a guy that has a, a great brain for concept and I respect how he goes for it on every film and really, I mean, you know, he takes three or five years between movies to try to make something grand and a grand spectacle. And I really appreciate that. He's kind of a mini Cameron in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, Yeah. There's a lot of guys like that that, um, you know, I mean, like Damon Lindelof has a great sense of concept, too. He just doesn't get it in the details, right? And I think that that's very similar. I just, every movie he makes, um, up until Flight. Flight was the the one to me where I was just like, okay, maybe I just don't like Robert Zemeckis movies, you know? Because I would talk myself into, this is the guy that did Back to the Future. And yeah, I hate Forrest Gump, but everybody else loves it and... Um, he's got a great track record and then, but every single time I'm like, but I don't like this movie and it doesn't, I don't think it's very good. I think it's, I don't think it's nearly as good as it thinks that it is. How about that? That, that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think Forrest Gump, uh, thinks that it's the best movie ever. And I think that flight thinks that it's the best movie of 2012. And I think that Beowulf thinks it's the best animated weird. Yeah. The, all that stuff. I, I think that he always thinks he's made the best movie of all time, and I don't ever get that from any of these films post Back to the Future or Back to the Future Two. It just doesn't work for me. He's yeah. like he's like Kanye, and in Back to the Future is his my be- beautiful dark twisted fantasy. That's a good yeah. That's a good <laughs> analogy. Sure, yeah, could um, definitely be that way. Yeah, Back to the Future One, Two, and Three are. Genius. Uh, there, there's no other way to say it. they are they are masterpiece genius level filmmaking. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is strong to very strong. Uh, uh, yeah, great, great. You know, way melding of of live action and animation and and you know all the uh, intellectual properties of the world. It's and that one holds up great too. I mean, that's a crazy movie and and another very ambitious project. Uh, Forrest Gump, like you said, um, it's Best Picture winner in 94, one of the strongest years ever in, in Hollywood. It, uh, I guess it accomplished every goal for the masses that it aimed to accomplish. I, don't, I like Forrest Gump. Don't love it. It's not a favorite of mine. Um, Contact, I think, is a great science fiction film, and I think it's still the quintessential— I always forget that's him. Yeah, it's still the quintessential like black holes, parallel universe— film uh extraterrestrial contact 
uh, all that. And um, I, 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 I will back up contact most days. I will not See, back up the Polar Express, Beowulf, Christmas Carol. I won't back up Flight. What, what Lies Beneath is a decent thriller. Castaway is a you know decent, um, I guess, adventure film, survival film. So, I mean, he's got some bright spots in, in his career. It's just never been Spielberg-level, like, um, consistency throughout, you know? It's never been something where you know what you're going to get is going to be great. He has a film coming out later this year, which we'll talk about, The Walk, mm-hmm. with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which is about the man that walked on the tightrope between the Twin Towers, which there is a great documentary out called Man on Wire about that, which I doubt the walk will be as good as the documentary, but we shall see. But again, another hugely ambitious project. I've seen the trailer in, in 3d, which was just, you know, stomach turning <laughs> when you're, yeah. you're basically from Joseph Gordon Levitt's perspective, walking across the tightrope. And then he just looks down and, it, you know, it's got the whole nostalgia feeling or, you know, the fact that it involves the twin towers, is just so Zemeckis, you know, it's like, <laughs> He has to pull at those heartstrings any which way he can, and he will, I'm sure, with, with the walk. So that'll be one to look out for. But, I mean, he's had some bright spots, like I said, but it's just not – he's not – he hasn't established himself as one of the premier directors in Hollywood still. And, you know, you would yeah. think by now he would have – he'd be on the level of a Coen yeah. Brothers or a, a Paul Thomas Anderson or somebody, you know, he or Tarantino. He hasn't really gotten past – uh, Forrest Gump, which was 20 years ago. Right. So. <laughs> right. And I think that's part of it. Like if you let's set aside Forrest Gump, because I know that I'm in the minority on that, that particular film, but I don't think I, like I said, I think he thinks all of his films are the best film of that year. And I don't think any of them hold up all that particularly well beyond after, of course, back to the future and back to the future too. But like yeah, contact and castaway and all these movies, I, it seemed like they got a good amount of buzz when they first come out, came out, but I don't know that anyone really cares about most of those films anymore. And and I don't know. I, I, I don't I, want to come off like you, I'm bashing on the yeah, guy. It's I, just, you can't say that about – you can say that about Contact, but Castaway, there are still people that yeah. just are obsessed with that movie. It, I'm not one of them. I You're probably right. I, yeah. I, I like Castaway. It's not it's not one that I, I own or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. I'll – yeah, I'll sit through that. it if, like, I walk okay. into my, you know, family room on a holiday and everyone's watching it. Like, I'll sit down and watch it, but it's not like a, a an o, a must I, own for me. I'm kind of that way with the way Brian is towards Forrest Gump. I kind of am towards Castaway. People love that movie. You'd have I to pay too. me yeah. a sizable yeah. amount of money to watch Castaway. Yeah, I I've said before the I think Castaway is the one that made me think. You know what, Zemeckis? I don't like. I don't. I, I really don't like this guy because that. I hate that scene in that movie when he is – I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. So, But when he, when he gets is, served fish at yeah, his home party. Yeah, when he gets served party. fish yeah. at, his, at his homecoming party. And I think that's just such a twisted, disturbing joke that I is not – I don't know. I don't get offended by, by jokes very easily, but I just – I hate that scene in that movie. And it sours – it soured the whole movie for me in some ways, but it also I think very much – it kind of shows what Zemeckis finds funny and it it doesn't sit well with me, I guess. I don't I just don't care for his sensibilities, I think is what it comes down to. The fact that we never find out what's in the box 
really yeah. infuriates me. That's another it's, thing. Yeah. It's not like a Pulp Fiction level what's in the briefcase because that's right. meant to be like spiritual, you know? They, they sure. make allusions to that, but there's no excuse to ha- keep us waiting for an entire length of a two-and-a-half-hour film and not tell us what's in the freaking package that he protected with his life, you know? Uh, at least the, FedEx made fun of it and said, Hey, thanks for delivering my package. Oh, what was it? Oh, it was just a GPS system, uh, survival gear, uh, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> extra food and water. But uh, thanks for not opening it, you know. <laughs> uh, but that that really infuriates me too. But Richard, do you have any thoughts on Zemeckis before we wrap this up? Yeah, I don't like his worldview. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a great. That's a good way to put it. At all, it's creepy to me that doesn't mean he's a bad guy just the way he expresses himself artistically i find uh his movies take turns in them that i am uncomfortable and i mean not like morally i just like don't uh, why do we have to go here there's six other directions we could go that would be mm-hmm. you know a lot more i don't know why he just likes uh this uh this weird thing there so i i uh, he's not high on my list at all but but back to the future is great let's go into grades here guys i'm going to get back to the future a freaking a solid a it's not a plus because there are some continuity errors that i've been annoyed by over the years there's some compos- um compositing errors like i like i said earlier um and there are aspects that don't hold up nearly uh, quite as well as some other films we've talked about in the, in the throwback scenario, like the Ghostbusters and uh, J- Jurassic Park, for example. But it uh, it has a special place in my heart, and uh, it's Hollywood uh, royalty. I mean, this is just this is as iconic as they get. I mean, there are people that you know, even Star Wars fans. You know, they, they say, "Oh, we're making another Star Wars." I think Star Wars fans collectively are excited at any possibility of more Star Wars. You know, it's something that we want to explore more of. We don't get it offended like oh they're making a sequel to revenge of the sith that can't happen you know <laughs> uh and but when you mention back to the future to the the most hardcore fans and say by the way they're making a reboot with justin bieber as marty mcfly <laughs> they get angry like yeah legitimately pissed off and and angry about it i mean they're that protective over this film so it's 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 one of the more um i guess it's one of the more um, treasured films of the yeah. uh, blockbusters that we uh, – I would say Jaws is probably equal to that. You know, mm-hmm. They should never remake Jaws, and Back yeah. to the Future is probably a close second. So yeah. what's your grade, Ryan? Uh, it's an A-plus for me. I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, I think – I think Michael J. Fox's performance is is uh, one of the more iconic performances of the of the era. Uh, I think the movie holds up so so well. As I said, I think you could release this today and it would be a huge hit. Um, it's a it is one of my favorite movies, and I and I'm I think it is 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 one that. Uh, yeah, it's 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 you hit it, Ken. It's it's a lot. It's like Jaws. You you should leave it alone. It it stands the test of time to me, um, and I just think it's it's borderline a perfect summer movie. Richard, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna side with Brian on this A versus A plus debate. I'm gonna go A plus because Boom. this movie has brought me much joy. 
Wow. And I'd like to update and give Spectacular Now another F minus minus minus. <laughs> Which you didn't give it that in the original uh, I know. episode, but that's okay. I know. And, uh, I think I would C minus we'll on. on that. Yeah, didn't even give it a D. Give it a passing grade. I know. Yep. It had it was a slow burn on how much I hated it. Because we recorded like a day or two later. I just I couldn't get there yet. But now Every I hate it. Time but we let's record. do weekly recommend. I will always recommend I was I will always remind the audience it was your idea. Richard Barton's idea to even do the episode of Spectacular Now in the first place. I hadn't yeah, even seen it. That's why Brian had seen so it. Much, though. Like, every time we do an episode, after we get done, Richard goes and performs that ritual beating, like in the Da Vinci Code, for, for his, he flogs yeah, himself for the sins. It's not even in the bottom, now. it's not even in the bottom 10 movies we've reviewed on this show, <laughs> but it, yet it gets so much hate. It's just so funny to me. It always keeps coming up. It's a bit. You know what it's terrible okay. movie we need to start talking about more is The Counselor. Like we yeah. always talk about Now You See Me and Draft Day, but we need to bring up The Counselor more often, oh. I think. I, I think one of you said Harvey R. Bardem doesn't do bad movies. I was like, <laughs> what? Are you serious? Yeah. Yes, she does. She yeah. does in El Paso. Oh. Just want to remind everybody. Oh. Uh, I want to remind everybody about uh, Cameron Diaz on top of a windshield. God, that's, uh, that's not. All right. I retract my statement. <laughs> it's funny that I'm the one who gave it the, the highest or the lowest grade, but it's yet it it actually made like my top 10 list. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> weird how that worked, but okay. Let's move on, guys. Let's uh, hit a recommend. Weekly recommends. I am going to recommend the Blu-ray set of Back to the Future Trilogy. Brian mentioned it earlier, but that was going to be my recommend anyway. It's really, really well done. Full restoration of all three films, uh, HD restoration, and uh, they look fantastic on the old big screen and Blu-ray player, and um, it's worth the investment. I think I got it for like 20 bucks or something. All three films on Blu-ray, plus special features, documentaries on each disc, and it's one of the more well-done re-releases i've ever seen yeah as far as giving you extra content other than just a a restoration of the movie so any fan if you don't have those you have to pick them up Mm -hmm. worth the investment it's a must own on any blu-ray shelf so the 25th anniversary edition of back to the future is my recommend brian that's a great recommend i watched i'm not a big extras watcher just because i don't i just don't have time but i sat down last night and watched all the extras and uh was very entertained. A lot of good information, and it's uh, man, that's a great, that's a great box set. I thought you were talking um, about the Ricky Gervais show for a second. That was like <laughs> a really weird, hard right turn you did here. You just watched every episode of Extras last night. Okay, all right, let me catch up here. Yeah. Uh, um, now I'm going to recommend a movie, a little independent film that is in theaters right now that you can check out probably for another week or two before it leaves. And if not, you can get it on DVD or rental or iTunes or whatever you do. Uh, it's called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Uh, my wife and I checked it out uh, last week. I've been kind of looking forward to it. I've been reading the book slowly. It's not the page turner that I uh, quite wanted it to be. So I'm, I'm kind of juggling it between uh, three other books right now. But uh, it's an interesting, interesting book. It's a, it's fairly typical kind of coming of age sort of, uh, sort of movie, and the title of the the film kind of gives away what it's about in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's very well acted. Uh, our, our good friend Nick Offerman has a, a nice supporting role as well as 
Connie Britton from uh, Friday Night Lights, but the main characters are all fairly unknown uh, teenage actors, and they're all really good. It's very affecting and uh, and well done, and it has a lot to do with film. Like uh, the main character and his friend, what they do for their hobby is they make they take Criterion Collection films basically and make terrible reboots of them. Yeah, uh, really low budget, awful looking. And uh, and that's so. There's a lot of laughs and uh, and also very again very heart uh, tugs at your heartstrings and affecting and uh, but a very I think in a very organic way that something like uh, the Fault in Our Stars and that kind of film usually gets wrong and just becomes really uh, obnoxious and exploitative. I think this this one uh, avoided that quite well. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's, it's really well done. Um, I don't think it's going to make like top 10 list or anything like that, but, uh, but it's pretty solid and I, I enjoyed it. So check it out. Me and Earl and the dying girl, Richard. Yeah. Mine's going to be a book, uh, that I'm reading like flying through right now that I'm loving. And it's, it's an old book from like 1998, but, uh, but I just got around to it. Uh, it's uh, King of the world. It's a uh, David Rebnick, who's the editor of The New Yorker now, uh, wrote a biography of not just Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. Yeah, not just uh, not just <laughs> Muhammad Ali, but kind of the entire early six, late fifties and early sixties boxing scene. Oh, yeah. um, so it's it's mostly a, it's a mostly an Ali biography, but you're looking at a good hundred pages of you know Sonny Liston and Floyd Patterson information. Doesn't seem super interesting, I know, to most of you, but uh, really interesting time in America. And a uh, pretty good history read. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Sweet. Have you read Sick in the Head yet, Richard? No, I have not. I figured you would have been a week one. I know. On the, uh, the, the Judd, Judd, Apatow. Judd Apatow book of comedy. Yeah, definitely up in there. Uh, but I recommend it. You know, I flipped through it a little bit at a bookstore, and it's good. I If you like that sort of thing, there's a book called Poking the Dead Frog that I recommended last year that's a better version of the. I mean, granted, I haven't read the Apatow one, but because yeah. some of the the interviews are done when he was a kid, um, Poking the Dead Frog has kind of a wider range of comedic interviews. If you're interested in that, uh, in the, the author's name is escaping me, which is a shame because I emailed with him back and forth quite a bit but uh book of the dead frog is is the name of the book and uh it's uh, mike a, kind of a better version of mike Sachs is his name and he's a really nice guy and uh anyway he uh he does these great interviews with a bunch of comedic writers and, and things like that and it's it's a more adult version and i don't mean content wise but adult version of the of the apatel book which i will read eventually i just i'm going to montana next week so that's when i'll get a lot of reading done cool uh, well, good talk, guys. This is yeah. a long, long episode, but long overdue. I think we devoted enough time to this. I would have felt bad if we hadn't given it its uh, its respect that it deserves. And this will be one that we talk about again, I'm sure, when the uh, reboot is announced at the end of this year. <laughs> so, no. Starring yeah. Chris Pratt. Oh, jeez. <laughs> As both Marty McFly and Doc. <laughs> Double wow. your Pratt, guys. Yep. Same but, words um, Park. where can I find you online, Brian? You can find my writing at the madaboutmoviespodcast.com website. And you can, of course, find me on that there Twitter at bgill 12 Richard, where can we find you? You can find me, my writing at richardbarden.com or my Twitter at richardbarden. And make sure you go back to the beginning of this episode and vote for our three American Treasure nominees, either Mad About Movies 
podcast.com or pardon me, mad about movies podcast at gmail.com or ma'am underscore podcast on Twitter or search us out on Facebook and throw a comment or message our way. Vote between Rob Lowe. Uh, that's the only one you need to vote for. No, <laughs> Rob, <laughs> or were the other two? Pardon Kevin me. Spacey, Kevin John Spacey, Stewart. John Stewart, Kevin Spacey, John Stewart, Rob Lowe, and uh, vote for one of those three. And uh, by Sunday at noon, and uh, we will announce the newest American treasure next week here on this very online podcast show. Kent, where would I find you if I were looking for you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. Find our show online at madamoutmoviespodcast.com. Only our most recent 20, I believe, episodes are now available on iTunes, which is ridiculous. What? Apple. Come on. Come on, 20? Apple. Wow, yeah, they sucks. cut it to 20. I think. Last time I looked, it was 20. It's been 20 for a few weeks. Maybe that was a glitch. Hopefully that was a glitch, but we have hundreds of episodes. So go to our website, look at that, and uh, please uh, subscribe, do all that. Leave us five stars on iTunes if you like what you hear. That goes a long way as well. Tell your friends. Thank you for enjoying the show, and uh, until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Bye. Bye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I've got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. The salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.